in Ephesians chapter 1. My wife was teasing me the other day. Uh, She might not have known she was teasing me. I don't know. She might not have meant it. It was just matter of fact in her mind. Um, I probably denied it, but... uh, But uh, she was referring to when we were at the Baptist church and I was uh, uh, teaching through John's gospel and uh, almost every Thursday night, almost every, maybe the odd exception, Christmas time and so on, but almost every Thursday for two years, uh, an hour a Thursday, so 80 to 100 hours to get through seven chapters of John. And she said, oh, look at this. And she's going through her notes. And she gives one date. And it was, I don't know, John chapter 7, verse 24, whatever it was. And then the following week, the same verse. Three hours on one verse in John. I thought, no, you must have. Anyway, but I didn't actually check. So she, I mean, she's written the note. She's probably right. Well, I haven't changed. (laughs) So, um, but I hope you will consider it uh, worth it. Ephesians chapter 1. Let's, uh, let's look at these precious uh, verses here. We're going to break in. Uh, <clears throat> in, uh, in, chapter, in chapter 1 verse 12. That we, we, uh, we should be to the praise of his glory who first... Trusted in Christ, in whom ye also trusted, after that ye heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, in whom also, after that ye believed, ye were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, which is the earnest of our inheritance until the redemption of the purchased possession, unto the praise of his glory. And uh, we said before, you know, the, the we who first trusted in Christ were um, the Jews. And then Paul's writing to the Gentiles as well. So we would be part of the you. And they would be the we. So I want us to look at, uh, at this, this truth. Um, sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. I want to look at three things. The promise... The seal and the spirit. Uh, And we'll see how far we get on this occasion. Um, Because it's, uh, yes, it's so fundamental and so rich. As I have considered it, I thought, hmm, this is going to take quite a while to preach through Ephesians. And uh, I might as well just forget about trying to be efficient. But the great thing is it takes us all over the Bible. uh, And so... We won't just be be locked in here. Uh, Sinners were made saints. Right? Ye trusted. Uh, They first trusted in Christ. Ye trusted in Christ after that ye heard the word of truth. The gospel of your salvation. And you believed. Right? So we heard that Jesus Christ died and rose again. For the taking away of sins. And that through him 
Complete forgiveness and peace with God is offered freely to those who will put their trust in Christ for that forgiveness. It is the tendency of man to um, do your best and hope for the best. And looking around, I don't think I'm any really much measurably worse than most people I know. And so hell's just for those bad people we read about in the newspaper. And I think I've got a pretty good chance. Do you agree with me? This is how, even if they don't articulate it like that, this is how most people are. Even, even your, your, your atheist or unbeliever of some sort, you know, I don't think I deserve to go to hell. I'm not that bad. You know, like hell is an inferno for the murderers and the monsters of this world. And it's entirely the wrong question. It's what about you merits being in the presence of God forever? You can't even get into Buckingham Palace to visit with the new king. Some would say, well, I wouldn't want to. That's entirely beside the point. These earthly dignitaries who are corrupt sinners, and you can't get into their presence, you're deemed unworthy. You yourself think like, you know, how are you going to, what merits you to stand before the creator of the whole universe, a holy God? And it is entirely this, the merits of Jesus Christ. And I'm not doing my best and hoping for the best. I am fully trusting in that which has been freely offered. That Christ died for sins. This is what Paul is saying. And like the Ethiopian eunuch when he asked, you know, See here is water, what doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said to him, If thou believest with all thine heart. And so this is what happened. Those Gentiles to whom the apostle preached heard the gospel. Peace with God. Uh, offered freely through the death and resurrection of Jesus. And they believed with all their hearts. And they were sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And so that's what I want to look at. Now, we might think we've got it backwards. Um, sealed, Spirit, promise. We're going to look at it. Uh, promise, seal, Spirit. Because... We'll spend uh, perhaps the most time on the uh, Holy Spirit and his work. God testified of their faith, giving them the Holy Spirit, right? This is what Peter said. You remember when Peter was taken to task for uh, preaching to the Gentiles? You went in to uncircumcised men and did eat with them. Brethren taking him to task. They're all Jews. What are you doing hanging around with them? And, and he, he, he gives his defense. And at the end he said, um, uh, God which knoweth the heart. Actually, I think it was, um, he, he explains that to them, that God gave them the light gift as he did unto us. But now, sorry, at the Jerusalem council, when they, they're deciding what to do with the Gentiles that believed, I think that's the time, he said, and he's declaring, God put no, God which knoweth the heart. Put no difference between us and them, right? Um, Purifying their hearts by faith. He knows the hearts and he gave them the same gift. Gave them the gift of the Holy Spirit, not because they were righteous, but because their faith was true, wholehearted. Uh, Now, the uh, sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise, right? The promise. 
I'd like to trace that a little. We have before. I say, Mark, we've been through this. Yes, yes, yes. We've, we, we skated by it pretty quick. But um, God had repeatedly promised in the Old Testament scriptures, what we call the Old Testament, but what the apostles call the Holy Scriptures, he had repeatedly promised that he would pour out his spirit. Right? And uh, <clears throat> it was uh, written as part of the blessings that God would bring upon his people in the days of Messiah. Right? Let's, let's look at some of those passages. We'll go perhaps in, uh, in reverse order. It was um, in, in Joel chapter 2. That's the one that... Uh, that Peter referenced, well before Joel, since we're there, we'll just walk backwards, Zechariah uh, chapter uh, 12, right? Days of Messiah, and the, the prophetic language of the Old Testament is, uh, is challenging, certainly. Uh, am I the only one first run through the Old Testament, and most of it just like over your head, like what's that all about? Um, but you get some nuggets in there, right, in the midst of it all. And slowly, um, what happens, I think, to most people is they hit a plateau. And they either stop reading certain bits or they keep reading, but they've pretty well stopped understanding anything they didn't understand last time. And it's just reminders. And I would encourage us, uh, and hopefully we can in the uh, months and years to come, look into the language of the Old Testament. The prophetic language, the symbolism which opens up to us. Um, what the scriptures are saying, so that we don't just stop understanding new things, but we go on and on and on. Zechariah, um, you know, speaking about the days of Messiah, and uh, some things are very obvious there, but there in chapter, ver- chapter 12, verse 10, And I will pour upon the house of David and upon the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace And supplications. And they shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And they shall mourn for him as one mourneth for his only son. Now, uh, we've said before, and we'll prove these things from the scripture later on perhaps. But that spirit of grace and supplication is the Holy Spirit. It's not, you don't get, you know... Okay, now you need this spirit, and now you need this one on top, and you know, this catalog of spirits. Um, but rather, here, this is the particular manifestation of the Holy Spirit, his particular characteristics that are in view. I will pour upon the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. The spirit makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. And so this, this is one of those promises. Joel, as we just keep turning left as we go backward in reverse order. Uh, Joel chapter 2. On <clears throat> verse 28, right? This is what Peter was quoting on the day of Pentecost. <clears throat> and it shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit upon all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your old men shall dream dreams. Your young men shall see visions. And also upon the servants and upon the handmaids in those days will I pour out my spirit. Hallelujah. And so there's a promise. God's going to pour out his spirit upon all flesh. Everybody, not just the prophets. Is Saul also among the prophets? Saul got the Holy Ghost. Because none of us ordinary people do, just the prophets, right? 
But here the Lord is promising that in the days of Messiah, he's going to pour out his spirit on everyone. Uh, Ezekiel chapter 37. We're just going in reverse order. Um, Not so much chronologically, although there is that as well. Uh, Yeah, it, it tends to be pretty nearly chronologically reverse order. But just as we turn our pages, chapter 37, verses 12 to 14. So this is the valley of dry bones. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, O my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord when I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves, and shall put my spirit in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it. Now, the context there is that Israel had been moaning, and it's like we're just all dry bones, and God inspires the prophet to use their own language and give them uh, a, uh, a vision of what the new covenant will look like. The days of Messiah. It's like these dry bones. Your life now by comparison is going to be like dry bones turned into flesh and blood. Living, beating hearts. What a dramatic transformation. Just do that comparison. And then imagine being alive in the miserable state And brought into the new covenant. But there notice. And we'll see that more when we get into Isaiah. um, You know I'm going to bring you into the land. So the spirit was one component of the blessing. Important. uh, Vital. But it's listed as one component. Um, Chapter 36 verses uh, 25 to 28. There we see it again. Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and ye shall be clean. And from all your filthiness, and from all your idols, will I cleanse you. The water of the word, right? The washing of the water of the word, the New Testament says. A new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit will I put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of your flesh, and I will give you an heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And ye shall keep my judgments and do them. And ye shall dwell in the land that I gave to your fathers. And ye shall be my people. And I will be your God. And I will also save you from all your uncleannesses. And I'll call for the corn and will increase it and lay no famine upon you. I'll multiply the fruit of the tree and the increase of the field. And... and, uh, And ye shall receive no more reproach of famine among the heathen. Again, it's listed as a time of blessing, of richness, of satisfying. And the Holy Spirit there is listed as part of that. It's a picture of the blessing, the full blessing of God. Um, That's an important um, thing to observe that he's describing an overall state of blessing. And he lists the receiving of the Spirit. Uh, as one prominent feature. And I'll tell you why I think that's significant in a bit. In a few moments. Isaiah 44. We, we won't uh, keep going. We'll just do one in Isaiah and then one more. And we'll go back into the New Testament. Isaiah chapter 44. It's good to read multiple um, iterations of the promise through various prophets to get a sense of how significant 
this promise was, how prominent, uh, how repeated. Uh, I'll say this, just um, we've been looking at the Bible and the scriptures and so on. Repetition is an important uh, tool in the, um, in the impact of a message, any message. It's just how God has made us as people. And you can see it in language. Impactful speeches. And, and it's in the word of God as well. It's how God has made us. You hear, there's a certain thing about hearing. And, um, <clears throat> and so it is important not to remove any of the words of God. They're there. They, they, and the repeating of them, it creates an impact. Even if we're not always fully conscious of it. And there, as the Jews would read through the whole scriptures, I think annually, at least major portions of it through the synagogue service. Year by year, they had a schedule, and they still do. They read through the scriptures. And over and over, throughout the year, repeatedly hearing the promises of God read. This prophet, right? Isaiah now, Ezekiel, uh, Jeremiah, did I skip over Jeremiah? Oh yes, went to Isaiah 44. It's not explicitly mentioned, but uh, in Jeremiah 31, a new heart will I give unto you. Um, let's, uh, let's look at that there in uh, Jeremiah 31. All right, they, as the prophets are read, verse 31. <clears throat> Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that I'll make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. He doesn't mention the uh, giving of the Holy Spirit here. But in as much as it's a new heart, and that's the same prophecy of Ezekiel in chapter 36, it's implied. Not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was an husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, saith the Lord, I will put my law in their inward parts and write it in their hearts and will be their God and they shall be my people. And he goes on. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I'll forgive their iniquity and I'll remember their sin no more. doesn't mention the Holy Spirit there. But um, it's the same promise of God. It's the same implication. Isaiah 44, verses uh, 1 to 5. Yet now hear, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel, whom I have chosen. Thus saith the Lord that made thee, and formed thee from the womb, which will help thee. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and thou, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. For I will pour water upon him that is thirsty and floods upon the dry ground. I will pour my spirit upon thy seed and my blessing upon thine offspring. And they shall spring up as among the grass, as willows by the water courses. One shall say, I am the Lord's, and another shall call himself by the name of Jacob. And another shall subscribe his hand unto the Lord and surname himself by the name of Israel. Again, there, this, this speaks of a general dispersing of God's Spirit everywhere upon all. And lastly, not, not lastly in scriptures, remember we're in reverse order, and uh, we're picking uh, some of the more obvious passages. So 
some of the more prominent ones, even in Proverbs chapter 1. Right? Wisdom, verse 20, wisdom crieth without, she uttereth her voice in the streets. The most unlikely place. You're not expecting a promise of God here, so to speak. But even in, in, in a completely different format and genre, instead of the reprovings of the prophet in their poetic form, here we have these proverbs of wisdom and insight. And even here we read, Turn you at my reproof, verse 23. Behold, I will pour out my spirit unto you. I will make known my words unto you. As though God there in the ordinary humdrum of daily life where people are interacting, there is God in the midst calling people saying, I want to pour out my whole spirit upon all of you. That Holy Spirit that was promised, right? This is that to which Paul refers. Now, um, we observe particularly in Isaiah and Ezekiel, but also in Zechariah, that he's describing the days of Messiah as days of richness, days of blessing, you know, fruit of the vine and so on. And yet, when the Lord Jesus And the apostles refer to those passages. They are focused on one thing. The promise of the Spirit. Look, uh, turn with me. Let's let's go through some of those passages in, in Luke. We'll start there. Luke chapter 24. This is vital to understand, brethren, uh, in every respect. After the resurrection, final words that Lord uh, that G Luke records that Jesus spoke when he's closing his gospel. He'll pick it up again to start his history in his second volume. Verse 49. And speaking to the eleven. Behold, I send the promise of my father upon you. But tarry ye in the city of Jerusalem until ye be endued with power from on high. Earlier he's saying, you know, thus it behooved Christ to suffer and rise from the dead. The third day remission of sins, you know, repentance, remission of sins be preached. So I'm going to send the promise of my Father upon you. The promise. One thing. Let's, let's um, get it more, uh, more fully in Acts chapter 1. Verse 4, Luke picks up his narrative. Wait for the promise of the Father. Acts 1 verse 4. Which saith he, you have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. Right? The reference to water. Uh, <clears throat> washed, poured out. It's like floods of water. We read that in Isaiah 44. The Lord is saying, this is the promise. All of that richness, blessing, fruit, it's all brought into one thing. You're going to receive the Holy Ghost. This is what God was talking about. All the elaborate language and the the physical details of fruits and and flocks and so on. It all focused on this particular thing. Is that men and women could have the Holy Spirit of God. We could look at uh, at some more there in chapter 2 in Acts. And we've looked at this before. In verse 16 Peter says this is that which was spoken of by the prophet Joel. And they were, you know, all speaking with tongues. Uh, later on in the, in the chapter, uh, <clears throat> well, he references being, you know, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit in verse 18. In verse 33, 
All right, verse 32, Jesus, God has raised him up. We're all witnesses. Therefore, being by the right hand of God exalted and having received of the Father the promise of the Holy Ghost, he has shed forth this which ye now see and hear. This is reminiscent, I think. Remember, this is the day of Pentecost. I believe it was on the day, in uh, that great day of the feast, Jesus in the temple. That great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture hath said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. If I understand, the priest had received the vessel and was now pouring out ceremoniously the water. The rabbis would say, he that has not seen the rejoicing at the water drawing ceremony has never seen rejoicing in his life. It was fanfare. There was dancing and shouting and jumping and music at this ceremony. But there's the picture that they, these devout Jews who were there on the day of Pentecost, who had just perhaps seen or were about to see, I don't know the chronology of the the day, this very thing, having received this promise and pouring it out, he's saying the Lord Jesus there has received the promise of the Father and was now pouring it out. You've just witnessed. Never mind your ceremony in the temple. This is the thing it's been speaking about. The pouring out of the Holy Ghost upon God's people. Having received of the Father... The promise of the Holy Ghost. He has shed forth this. Which ye now see and hear. Again it's all in this one thing. Those elaborate descriptions of the days of Messiah. And the only thing in view. Because it's the only thing that matters. It is the thing that was promised. Was that men and women. Can have the spirit of God in them. That Holy Spirit was promised. We're looking at the promise. This was a promise of God. In uh, uh, verses 38 and 39, he, he reiterates that. Repent and be baptized. When they cried out, what shall we do? As they're convicted of the sin of crucifying Messiah. He says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. And ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost for the promise is unto you. And to your children, and to all that are afar off, even as many as our Lord, the Lord our God shall call. Paul there uh, <clears throat> in uh, in Ephesians. Where did he? Where did he say it now? Came and preached peace to you which are far off, and to them that were nigh. Pretty sure that's in Ephesians. What's that? Yes, yes. Um, there it is. Uh, verse, um, verse 17, Ephesians 2, 17. Right? He came and preached peace to you which were afar off unto them that were nigh. For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. It's exactly the same thought that Paul is addressing here. The promise of the Holy Spirit. This is God's 
word. This is his promise. Um, this is Peter preaching. So the Lord Jesus has said, this is the promise of the Father you're to wait for. Peter has said, this is the promise that you're seeing. The promise. Not one of the precious promises of God. The promise. Galatians chapter 3. Paul takes it up. <clears throat> and verse 14. Uh, Christ has redeemed us. Notice it's linked to the redemption and the death of Christ. This is what the purpose has been. Christ hath redeemed us, being made a curse for us, that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ, so that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Hallelujah. And we come back then to Ephesians chapter 113. You are sealed with that Holy Spirit of promise. And so as we we want to look at this passage and understand the riches, Paul's saying, blessed with all spiritual blessings in Christ. The Holy Spirit has been promised in the scriptures. The the people of God, right? You can imagine they're there if we trace the history of Israel, right? They're oppressed people in, um, in Egypt, Sighing under their bondage. And God sends Moses to them. And, and they're delivered out of, of Egypt. And, in the, um, and through the Red Sea. And all that shouts of victory. And there they are now in the wilderness. And their ups and downs. They're, they're going against God. And, and being chastened and repenting. And Moses ordaining these elders. And, and um, two of them prophesying in the camp. And Moses says oh that God would put his spirit upon all his people. That all the Lord's people are prophets. And they go through that um, glorious entry into um, Canaan under Joshua's leadership decades later. And the victory of uh, seeing Jericho fall. And they're back and forth, the sins of Ai, repentance and victory. And they, they get themselves established in the land. But they never make a clean break with idolatry and they, they become oppressed again. And God raising up um, judges to deliver them. And this wave cycle of, of being oppressed and then a deliverer and a time of blessing and then sinking again. Until God uh, gives them a king in their loss. They want to be like everybody else. Rejecting just being led by the word of God through the prophet. But wanting an emblematic king. And uh, they had time of Saul and that was uh, a mixed blessing. And Saul finally coming to his end and God raised up David as a king, a righteous king. After much years of being hunted and and, uh, hated by Saul who was jealous of him. And the kingdom established and the golden years under Solomon. And then Solomon, um, overusing his kingly prerogatives, descends into idolatry through many wives who are um, heathen. And the nation going deeper and deeper into idolatry. First the ten tribes split away. And then um, even Judah. Such that they're all, first the ten tribes are scattered through the Assyrian Empire. And then Judah carried away captive to Babylon. A remnant left to mingle with the people. And after 70 years God brings them back from Babylon. Through the leadership of Ezra and Nehemiah. And they rebuild the the temple. And they rebuild the wall of Jerusalem. And Ezra collating all of the prophets and the scriptures that we've heard about here. And uh, 
And then establishing synagogues throughout the land and having the scriptures copied and taught throughout the land. More vicissitudes later in those 400 years between Ezra and the time of Christ. Uh, you know, they, they're overcome then by, um, by Antiochus Epiphanes and the temples defiled and the Maccabean revolt. <clears throat> The Bible's translated into Greek and it, the synagogues now scattering throughout the Greek empire and the, uh, the Greek scriptures read throughout the world and, and Shabbat by Shabbat, Saturday, what we call Saturday by Saturday, the synagogues are read and this whole history of the nation is read and punctuated throughout the promise of God, I will pour out my spirit to you. The days of Messiah are coming. They will be days of unimaginable blessing. Hallelujah. And the people so conscious of their history that they came out of slavery and had been so often and so long disobedient to God and set on idolatry. And for that reason, there they were in the synagogues in Judea and throughout Israel under Roman dominion and throughout the empire living in the midst of a pagan world. They're nonetheless hearing every week the promise of God, I will pour out my spirit upon you. Do you get the crescendo they're building up to? And then one day, after the resurrection of Jesus, God fulfilled it. And to those devout Jews who are mocking, what's this? Who, the, the, the very promises of pouring out the spirit still ringing in their ears. While they're witnessing that of which they had heard. They begin to mock what's this. And the apostle now filled with that same spirit confronts them. This is what all of the scriptures that you have heard your whole lives has been pointing you towards. That you can receive the Holy Spirit. It's a promise of God to all of you. And so many of them, 3,000 on that first day. Um, Receive the Holy Spirit. Now the, the thing to understand with that, <laughs> brethren, there's several things. But God is thoroughly committed to this. This is the gospel. Christ dying for us. The forgiveness of sins. Christ didn't just die as an example. Is that right? He died so that we could be forgiven and cleansed our sins. Is that right? We're all still with us. But that is also not an end in itself. That is so that we could be filled with the Spirit of God and be a dwelling place for God. Hallelujah. It's a promise. The promised uh, the promise of the Spirit. The if we follow those things, and take a moment, you know, and pro probably weren't thinking about these things this morning, you know, and it's been a bit like a drink from a fire hydrant to try and compress all of that into a few minutes as we've just done. But the the whole message of the scripture there in the prophets is that it is the receiving of the Holy Spirit into the human heart that is the fulfillment. Of such blessing that the difference afterwards compared to before is like dry bones compared to a living, breathing human being. It's like a parched wilderness compared now to the Garden of Eden. 
That's new birth. It is so much more than changing our religion. It is so much more than believing different things about God from what we used to believe. And it is so much more than being forgiven the sins that are past. Of course, that's rich and wonderful. It's so much more than going to heaven when we die. It's as the days of heaven upon the earth. Hallelujah. And it's a promise of God who cannot lie. This is the thing. Uh, The promise. God was winding us up to have great expectations. And then he's going to over exceed them. That does lead to a few questions and perhaps we'll answer some of them this morning. God is thoroughly committed to giving the gift of the Holy Spirit to everyone who with all their hearts believes on the Lord Jesus. Uh, Look uh, for a few moments please in in Acts uh, chapter 8. Right? We, I think we referenced this earlier. Right? This is a baptism of the Ethiopian eunuch. As they went on their way, they came unto a certain water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And Philip said, If thou believest with all thine heart, thou mayest. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And they went down into the water. He was baptized. Let's look at Matthew chapter 3, verse 11, and link two things together. This is John preaching, Matthew 3, verse 11. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. Now, let's pose a question, a rhetorical question. And we don't do this today so much. We try to, we do here, but just in Christendom generally. Uh, The Ethiopian eunuch asked, is there anything hindering me from being baptized? And Philip, to make sure, says, if you believe with all your heart. If the Ethiopian eunuch had said, well, this looks pretty convincing... I have a few reservations, but let's go ahead with this. Do you think Philip would have done it? You think so? If he had said, you know, this looks pretty good, I'm willing to give this an honest go. Do you think that would have been sufficient? The Ethiopian eunuch could have said, you know, this sounds plausible, I sincerely believe it, and and I'm going to look into it even more when I get back to Ethiopia. Do you think Philip would have baptized him? If there was any reserve in this eunuch's heart about completely casting his entire life onto Christ, would Philip have baptized him with water? We all agree Philip would not have. Is that right? That is the same for the Lord Jesus. 
John baptized with water, as did Philip. The Lord Jesus baptizes, he immerses with the Holy Ghost. And regardless of what we do or don't do in our various religious traditions, the Lord Jesus is only going to wash with his spirit, pour out his spirit upon those that trust in him with all their hearts. Right? If Philip would think, you're holding back. I don't think you're ready for water. The Lord Jesus will look at the soul that's holding back and this one's not ready. That raises a few questions and I trust we'll be able to answer them as well. But I would say this, uh, or rather point our attention to what the scriptures say, is what I would rather, in, in Luke chapter 11. Summarize some of these things. God's will is to give the Holy Spirit to everyone. Christ died for everyone. And God's will is that we should all not only be forgiven, not only um, have heaven as our future home, but his will is that we should have his spirit within. All right? And the, um, I mentioned earlier, or just a few minutes ago, moments ago, about how the Lord Jesus has, um, has not given his Holy Spirit to some who have hold back. That's not the whole story. All right? That principle uh, applies to us who have been born again, who lack um, more, a richer experience of the Holy Spirit than we wish for. And that is usually because of a lack of... Uh, um, well, sometimes it's simply like a baby just needs to grow, right? So there's that. But there's also, now we've been born again, but we do the same thing the Israelites did. The Israelites, just follow them. We've looked at their history, just follow them. They came out of Egypt with their whole hearts. Is that right? And so they got, they got gloriously delivered. They went through the Red Sea. No hesitation. They hot-footed it through there, right? But then afterwards they started to murmur. And they had some negative experiences. Blessings dried up. Repentance. Blessings came. Murmuring and complaining. Blessings dried up. So they were still saved. Is that right? But now they are topsy-turvy in their experience of blessing because of their attitude. So that's something that happens in the life of the Christian. It shouldn't. doesn't need to, but it does happen. Everyone agree that, that some of us can experience that? And some of us you think that's what's going on in that person you're worried about. So there's that. Um, there's also those that um, were like Paul... Not Paul, the apostle, those Ephesians that he met, they hadn't even heard about the Holy Spirit. So we're, we're not aware of all the riches. And this is why Paul is praying for these Ephesians. So I want you to know all that's yours in salvation. So it's just, we need to grow in our understanding. There's the fact that we, um, we can be lazy. Right? And Brother Jake's an inspiration to me. I hope it's okay to say that out loud. 
uh, not embarrassing to your brother. You can tune me up afterwards if it is. I'll try and remember not to do it again. But uh, he's got so much property. And he gets so much done and so fast. And I'm still thinking about what I've been thinking about for the last five years and haven't got to it yet. Right? It, we all have so much property in Christ. But are we taking the time? To do what it takes to make it all thrive and bring forth the blessings. Right? You are an inspiration to me, brother. I do think, yeah, yeah, I should be doing this, I should be doing that. It's all there, but it takes us the time. Now, let's, let's look at that illustration a little further. Because remember, the Holy Spirit, uh, the, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit... In the, was put in the language these people could relate to. They had no idea what it would be like to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Couldn't relate to the concept. So to give them an expectation of how rich it would be, the Lord plants that in the context of, you know, your cattle all healthy and robust and prospering, your fields, everything, just richness and fullness and fatness and prosperity. Put it in language we can understand. But we have to take the time to seek. Just take your field. You've got all this plot of land. You've got all this seed. You've got the storehouse. You've got the pens. You've got everything. But there are also weeds in life. You have to get out there and give it your attention. You have to feed the cattle. <laughs> I mean, um, you have to plant. You have to plow, plant, water, reap. You have to be completely committed to looking after your, your land. To bring forth these blessings. Isn't that right? <clears throat> and it's the same with the blessings of God. And if we are busy thinking about these other things. Busy fiddling around with these other things. And not taking the time to soak in the scriptures. And to pour out our hearts to God. And to seek him earnestly. To demonstrate to God that we value these eternal riches more than this piddly thing and that frivolous thing and the other, then we end up with this inheritance of a whole lot of land that is largely neglected and is bringing forth little fruit. So there's that. Um, you know, these explain why, what's going on. Now why, you know, if, if, the, if having the Holy Spirit is so rich, and it is, beyond any other human experience, why do so many Christians... Just limping along. Well, this is why. It's her own fault. And it's through neglect. Through unbelief. It's through having started well. This is, wasn't this the Galatian problem? Having received the Spirit, are you made perfect by, by the law? By the flesh? So, it's not just now. In the apostolic times, you had people that started so well and then modeled afterwards. And the apostle has to try and bring them back. The Corinthians. Look, you're still babes. <laughs> and you're squabbling, right? Now that doesn't make it okay. Oh, well, you know, they, they had Paul and they were a mess, so we can be a mess. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm pointing out that there are reasons why things go wrong. And the solutions are for us in Scripture. And whatever they all are, I would suggest we don't get too bogged down in the details, but come back. To with all our hearts. And look at this childlike faith the Lord points us to in Luke chapter 11. Verse 9. I say unto you, ask and it shall be given you. Seek and ye shall find. 
Knock and it shall be opened unto you. And this is on the heels of a parable with a pretty persistent person. It's not just, you know. Oh, well. Let's go to the beach. Right? (laughs) There's some persistence. You can read the parable. Knock, it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth. To him that knocketh it shall be opened. If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? There's a lot there, and we'll look at this more in John's Gospel in subsequent times. But I would say, brethren, someone stops and reflects, you know, Lord, I I remember when I first got saved. And I think of now, I've lost some things, Lord. But you know, brethren, if that's you, all it requires is you to just get alone with the Lord. Say, Lord, I'm sorry. I've strayed, I've been neglectful, and I'm here to seek your face again. And then follow through on that. And ex- but when you do that, that first transaction, so to speak, expect him. Proceed knowing that he is more generous than the best father you've ever known. And so you, you're not just now like, like a, a, a rejected poor person, you know, clanging in the gates of, the, of, of a wealthy patron, hoping that this miserable, selfish person will, will maybe throw you some scraps over the fence just to get rid of you. Rather, you're proceeding in your seeking with a confidence, knowing that he's done it, because he's more generous than any father and so you're, you're, you're seeking him afresh now and you're going to be doing that again in the evening and the next day and so on because now your whole life is about seeking God and his kingdom and if that father um, who would run to embrace a boy that had just come out of the pig pen And was now returning. How much more is he delighted with a son. Who has wobbled. A daughter who has gotten down in the dumps. But is now saying. Father I I want to serve you. Like I ought to have been. You think he's going to be less. He's going to be. Ever so delighted. And so whatever the lack is. In the Christian's life. Today that has been born again. That recognizes something. It's, sim- it's not a complicated process. It's not a straining process. It's a loving process. Father, I'm sorry. Thank you, Lord. And just enter sweetly in and carry on your life of loving service. And he will, whether suddenly or gradually, he will um, fill with you his Holy Spirit, his child. He's committed to it. It's a promise. And you don't need to be anxious or doubtful. He's there lovingly receiving. And we can um, go on in utter confidence. Trusting. He'll do more than we can ask or think. Uh, isn't that great? Isn't the Lord good? 
that holy. You were sealed with that holy spirit of promise. Recap where where we are in this. Um, We've looked at, again, you can never say it too often. Christ died for sins. We trust wholly in him for that. Having placed all our confidence in him, God, seeing that faith, seals with that Holy Spirit whom he has promised, his own self. And if there has been any departure from that first love, we have looked briefly at the simple way to return. Just like a child coming to his father for um, something good to eat. Knowing that the Lord is even more generous. Let's uh, look for a few minutes at the seal, shall we? Sealed. What does it mean to be sealed? Uh, Sealed with that promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, is God himself. And we will look, I trust, in future um, messages on uh, what he does when he comes. The the Lord had much to say about that in John. uh, or John records it. And John has much to say about that in his epistle as well, as do the other apostles. And we'll look at those things that he will do. Um, But... uh, (laughs) Let's, uh, let's look at this term seal, shall we? What does it mean to seal? And I really enjoyed digging, uh, looking afresh and looking clearly in, in depth at this word seal. Um, probably all of you uh, will, will know it uh, better. Uh, <clears throat> but it will bless you to look at it again. Um, where shall we? We should begin. Uh, let's look at the scriptures first, shall we? First Kings. We've got to wind down our message time uh, shortly because we have communion. First Kings chapter 21, verse 8. Now, it's an unfortunate uh, context, but we're, we're trying to, they would have known what the seal means, and we're just refreshing our memory. So this is, this is Jezebel, <laughs> wicked queen, and she is um, uh, going to uh, have some land stolen for her pouty, depressed husband. Uh, 1 Kings 21, 8. So she wrote letters in Ahab's name and sealed them with his seal and sent the letters to, to the elders, to the nobles that were in his city. So you see there, you've got, as a king, he has a, a signet, usually a ring, and they would put this letter. And um, seal can be done different ways. In this case, it may have been imprinted on the very parchment itself or some wax uh, put on the bottom and stamped in, but in such a way that it was known that this was from the king, right? So you wouldn't have the seal here and the letter here because who knows what the original was. The letter itself is stamped with this signet that represents the king. To have this seal, um, it validates this document as 
genuinely from the king. So there's, there's one little picture of it. Um, Esther 8.8, 8, we see a similar kind of thing. Uh, <clears throat> I think this is now, uh, this is not Haman, but I think this is Mordecai. King Ahasuerus, verse 7, said unto Esther the queen and to Mordecai the Jew, Behold, I have given Esther the house of Haman, him that they have hanged on the gallows, because he laid his hand upon the Jews. Write ye also for the Jews, as it liketh you, in the king's name, and seal it with the king's ring. For the writing which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring may no man reverse. Now again, we're, we're wanting to understand what it means to be sealed with the Holy Spirit. We looked last time, we were in this passage, on the fact that it's, it's a, a, an earnest, a down payment of the inheritance. It's like a small portion of what's coming in heaven. But here we're looking at what it means, this term seal. Writing, which is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's ring, may no man reverse. Now understand this, and this may help us praying in Jesus' name. No, nobody could presume to come up with his own idea. No servant of the king could just come up with an idea and then go and execute it and then tack on it in the name of the king. The king's name could only be attached to something that was commanded by the king. And if you and I are pray, going to pray in Jesus' name, we need to be praying as directed by the Holy Scriptures and by the Spirit of God. Otherwise, we're not praying in Jesus' name. We're praying in our own name. And tacking the Lord's name onto it. It's helpful to understand. Uh, if you ask anything in my name, I'll do it. If you pray as led by the Spirit of God and the Holy Scriptures in faith, whatever you ask, God will do. That's Jesus' words. The reason so many prayers go wrong is because we're completely making it up. And the whole process of growing up is to discern between our own human um, errors and what is of the Spirit and what is of the Scriptures. Whatsoever is written in the king's name and sealed with the king's seal may no man reverse. We'll just poke ahead here in Ephesians. You're sealed until the day of redemption. Being sealed with the Holy Spirit may no man reverse. Nobody can take the Holy Spirit from you. Just think about that. The devil can't take the Holy Spirit from you. He wants you to think he can. He wants you to think all sorts of things. Oh, you've committed the, all sorts of things. Do you remember? We won't turn to it now. It's just, you know, it's not part of the script per se. Do you remember the prophet uh, Haggai there? Rebuilding the temple after they were carried away captive into Babylon. We've mentioned this before. They have been exiled for their idolatry. And the Lord says to them through the prophet, As I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt, so my spirit remaineth among you. Not so my spirit hath returned to you, as if he had departed, but he remains among you. My spirit was there when you were in Babylon. My spirit was there and grieved when you committed your idolatry. It's my spirit that's brought you back. Sealed until the day of redemption. 
Not sealed until you wear out my patience. He has set his love upon you. He is committed to see you through to that glorious day. Hallelujah. No man can reverse. Now, some people don't like that. Oh, you've got to qualify it with this. Well, there are other scriptures to qualify that. We'll deal with them when we're reading them. But this is the heart of God. Uh, <clears throat> Jeremiah chapter 32. All right, we're looking at this seal, what it is. So here, um, Jeremiah has been told to buy, um, buy a field, right? Buy, verse 6, buy thee my field that is in Anathoth, for the right of redemption is thine to buy it. And so they're going to make this transaction. Uh, verse 9 did I say we're in Jeremiah 32? And I bought the field of Hanamiel, my uncle's son, that was in Anatoth, and weighed him the money, even 17 shekels of silver. And I subscribed the evidence and sealed it, and took witnesses and weighed him the money in balances. Uh, in verse 11, so I took the evidence of the purchase, both that which was sealed according to the law and custom, and that which was opened. Verse 14, thus saith the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, take these evidences, this evidence of the purchase, both which is sealed and this evidence which is open, and put them in an earthen vessel that they may continue for many days. Verse 44, men shall, and it's talking about, and there's a prophecy about them being returning after Babylon. Men shall buy fields for money and subscribe evidences and seal them and take witnesses in the land of Benjamin. All right, so we're looking at the seal, and it has the king's authority. It can't be reversed. It's used in law to verify, right? We have some examples of this term seal. This is the word, this is the meaning that the apostle's using. There are other passages as well that we uh, could look at um, that is a synonym. <laughs> Do I have time, brother? Keep going a bit. Are we? No one's fall asleep. Let's look at a synonym. Um, this word, and the 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 ancient languages used synonyms as we do in uh, in English. Uh, let's look at the uh, Old Testament example first. Ezekiel chapter nine. So we've got to, because we want to get a full understanding of what God is communicating to us when he tells us he has sealed us. Have you been born again? Have you believed on the Lord Jesus and you're saved? God has sealed you. And we want to see what that all means for us. Ezekiel chapter 9. Now here we have a prophecy concerning um, judgment. The Apostle Peter refers to this, I believe, when he says judgment must begin at the house of God. But before that, in verse 4, the Lord said unto the angel, Go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh 
and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. And again, verse 6, right? Uh, well, keep going. Verse 5. And to the others he said in mine hearing, Go ye after him through the city and smite. Let not your eyes spare, neither have pity. Slay utterly old and young, both maids and little children and women. But come not near any man upon whom is the mark. And begin at my sanctuary. So he said to the angel, Mark in their foreheads. All of those who have a heart for God, essentially. They sigh at, uh, and cry for all that's done. They're, they're, they're disgusted and disheartened by the wickedness amongst the people of God. And he says to this angel, it's a vision, right? It's a vision. And um, go and mark in their foreheads. And then to the other angels of judgment. This is similar to the Passover, right? Angel of death coming through. But over any house that is marked with the blood, don't come. Now, fresh off this passage... Let's go to the book of the Revelation, chapter 7. <clears throat> Here we have a prophecy, four angels standing. And by the way, the book of the Revelation is written in the pr- language of all of the Old Testament prophets. And the only way to understand the language of the book of the Revelation is to understand what's being said in the Old Testament prophets. <clears throat> Saw a second angel, Revelation 7, verse 2, ascending from the east, having the seal of the living God. And he cried with a loud voice to the four angels, to whom it was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea, nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of our God in their foreheads. Now this is a reference by the Spirit of God to that in Ezekiel. The word seal and mark are synonymously used, interchangeable. So it's not just just a mark, this is a seal. And we're going to look at what the details of a seal are. We know it's some kind of object and it somehow impresses on the document and the person. In their foreheads, this is the, the, the um, metonym, I believe, for the whole person, your head, what you think. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. Um, Revelation chapter 9. And verse 4. And it was commanded them they should not hurt the grass of the earth nor any green thing neither any tree but only those men which have not the seal of God in their foreheads. Alright. So we've got this seal. We've seen it on documents. Uh, we've seen uh, for, um, for action. Right. Jezebel sending um, servants to go and pilfer Naboth's uh, land. We've seen Ahasuerus um, sending authority to the Jews to have their um, will be done. This is documents uh, of authority. We've seen it in Jeremiah for um, uh, the transaction of purchase possession sealed. And we see the uh, people of God sealed. It's marked, right? It's a stamp. Let's look at uh, uh, some of these definitions. Uh, seal is a signet. It's a stamp. It's a mark, a distinctive mark, image, insignia. Right? So you've got some. You see, uh, flags are similar in some ways, ensign, but uh, coins. Same, same basic idea. What did the Lord, I was going to turn to the passage. We'll just go from, uh, from memory, I think. Um, 
Matthew 22:19. Let's look at that. Matthew 22:19. Look at some of these things here. This is a, an altercation with uh, uh, Christ being tempted again. Is it lawful to give tribute to Caesar or not? Jesus perceived their wickedness and said, Why tempt ye me, hypocrites? Verse 19. Show me the tribute money. And they brought him a penny. And he saith unto them, Whose is this image and superscription? They say unto him, Caesar's. He said unto them, Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's, and unto God the things that are God's. All right? So this is a coin, an image was made in some kind of a mold in those cases. And they're going to pour liquid into it. Uh, And a superscription, a writing, both the image and the writing. So whose is this image? Whose image is it? Well, it's an image of Caesar. Whose is it writing? Well, this is tribute to Caesar. Now, the seal was very similar to this. It would have an image that people, seeing that image, would recognize the king. And some inscription. So that anyone looking at this seal. Right. And it would be a metal object. And it would. um, If you had a document. You would pour some some soft. uh, Or some liquid wax on it. And the wax would harden at the right point. You would stick the seal into it. And everyone looking at that seal. There is not another seal like it in the whole world. This seal. Means that this is by the hand of the king. This belongs to the king. And when you look at the seal, you can see the image of the king and the writing of the king. Now that's the seal in the very soul of the child of God. Sealed with the spirit of God. It's, there's so much in it. We want to look at the legal aspect. We want to look at the ownership. And we'll have to continue that next time. Pick up where we left off. But the very thing in it is it's got the very image of God. And the believer is sealed in his soul with the very image of God. And God and angels and men can recognize it when they look at the Christian. Is that right? They bear the image of the king. Sealed with that Holy Spirit that was promised. Sealed. This one, that one, that one. Sealed. God himself. John baptized with water. Jesus baptizes with the Holy Ghost. King Jesus himself seals each child of his personally with his own image and stamp. Isn't that glorious? I was going to say, you're pretty quiet for being so excited. But anyway, it is our culture. (laughs) We'll continue more with the definition another time. Let's, uh, Let's think about, brethren, the Lord Jesus said, we're going to take the Lord's Supper, do this in remembrance of me. He was suffering to a purpose, remember, for the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising the shame. (laughs) He was working to this day. 
where he would um, seal each one with his own spirit. Uh, we haven't yet looked at the, the purchased possession. We saw it in Jeremiah. He purchased the field. You're his purchased one. With his blood, he purchased you. You belong to him. And he sealed that purchase with his own image imprinted on your soul by his Holy Spirit. His spirit within witnesses with your own spirit. You're his child. He says, remember me. This is what it cost him to do it. Uh, To redeem us from iniquity. He came to, to bear our sins in his own body. And to take them away from us on the cross. That lamb upon whom the whole congregation would lay their hands and confess all their sins was then sacrificed. All our sins laid on Christ. And before he departed he said, you remember. It helps us brethren as we contemplate not only the glory but the suffering that brought it. To keep us from distraction. We have We have the cord of thankfulness and joy, but we have the cord of of duty and memory and sacred reverence for such a cost that he paid. The remembering of Christ crucified is a powerful antidote against lusting after this world and sin. Is it not? What could we put beside the sacrifice of Christ And say, oh yeah, I'll go after that. (laughs) The riches of heaven, if we think of those, uh, this world is done. And the sacrifice and love of Christ that he paid to bring those riches to us. This is, and the communion of the Holy Ghost, this is a threefold cord that is not broken. And he said, (laughs) as uh, as he departed, knowing that in a few Weeks they would be filled with the Spirit. He said, do this in remembrance of me. We, uh, we'll continue our, our study in this, uh, Lord willing, next week. Um, so we look at all that it means. But Christ in you, through Christ on the cross. And uh, let, us, uh, let us carry them both in our hearts. The joy and the privilege of sonship in his kingdom with the memory of the depths of his love for us, that he would go even to the cross for us. And I would exhort us, brethren, to not be content only with the, um, the knowledge, yes, I've trusted in Christ, yes, I'm done with those old sins, but Lord, as I partake of flesh and blood, as it were, um, afresh, I... I want to renew that uh, devotion to live my thoughts, my emotions, my, my heart's affections and my deeds all as a thankful living sacrifice for you. Here am I, Lord, I seek your kingdom. We sing it, right? Here is love, vast as the ocean. Perhaps we could start with that one for communion. Um, let me seek thy kingdom only and my life be to thy praise. Shall we, uh, shall we pray and then have communion? Brother uh, Dave Schroeder, did you want to stand and pray for the... Uh, or did I not give you enough notice?